Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a primary care physician who specializes in functional medicine, and this is Dr. Sam White. Welcome to the show. Hi, Zuby. Really great to be here with you today to, to tell you what's been going on already. No doubt, man. Happy to have you on. So, Sam, I've done a real brief intro there, but for people yeah. who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, tell them a little bit about you. So I've been a doctor for just over 17 years. Um, combination, I think, of wanting to go into medicine came about because, you know, my mom was uh, a nurse, my dad was in the ambulance service, and I watched far too many ER episodes as a teenager and wanted to be Dr. Carter. So there I was going off to medical school. Last 11 years, I've been essentially in, as a primary care physician in the in the community, also doing a bit of uh, emergency work and in a palliative care hospice. Um, I think you could probably say that the last five years, I've felt a realization that medicine had become too much about a pill for an ill. Um, you'd be, as a GP in this country, seeing about 40 patients a day. There wasn't time to care, really. Um, there wasn't time to look at the root cause. And that's when I you know, began training and things into functional medicine, which is a lot more popular in the States and well-known in the States uh, than here. But it, it seeks to look at the underlying root cause of what's going on, what might be causing that, and potentially reversing it rather than just covering it with, with medication. Mm. Now, I guess like a lot of people listening, when it was first announced that there was going to be a pandemic, we we were expecting the worst thing we'd ever seen in our careers. Um, but my initial experience with COVID-19 early on led me to kind of go down the rabbit hole and find out what's what's really going on here. And essentially none of the measures that were introduced by the UK government through their heinous coronavirus acts or around the world have any justification in medicine, certainly not in medical ethics uh, and not in the scientific consensus, really, uh, when you when you dig a bit deeper. Um, and I uh, got to the point where in December where I said to my colleagues, I don't want any part of this vaccine schedule. You cannot justify an experiment and you never, ever experiment on human beings, certainly never children. You cannot justify that when there are known effective treatments out there that are safe. Um, and to do so, knowing the results of 
previous experiments with coronavirus vaccines was just, I think in time that would be considered unlawful. And we'll look back at this period in history and realize it was one of the worst uh, in history. But by the new year, I decided that was it. I'd said in writing to the NHS and by default, the General Medical Council, if this happens, I'm going. And that's what I did. That wasn't a problem really for anyone in the health service who'd read what I'd written down until a video of mine, somewhat accidentally, because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of followers on social media or anything. I was quite enjoyed keeping myself to myself really, um, went viral. And I think it was over a million views before being deleted, um, you know, by social media. And that was only a few minutes long. But that got me into a lot of trouble very quickly. Okay. Well, yeah. there's a lot to there's a lot to touch on here. Yeah. So first of all, why do you call this rollout an experiment? I'm sure there's gonna be some people who are listening yeah. to this. Of course, we're gonna have people on all different sides of this issue and of this conversation, mm -hmm. but what makes you use that term an experiment? Well, th that's what it is. We know that these are still essentially in phase three clinical trials and that various stages of the trial process were merged together. Um, and you, they've skipped the, the part particularly important where you do animal studies uh, first. I don't like the idea of experimenting on animals very much. Again, we've got treatments. We didn't need to experiment on animals either. But we already had the results of the SARS-CoV-1 trials in animals, which were enough because they were horrendous results to say, we shouldn't do this. There's never been a successful coronavirus vaccine. What were the, what were the results in those animal trials? So there's a phenomenon in, in medicine called antibody-dependent enhancement. And with animal studies, you're allowed to go from an ethical point of view that one stage further. So you can inoculate the animals, they used ferrets um, with, with the vaccine and then expose them to the virus. And essentially what the antibody dependent enhancement means that they're gonna go on to get a worse form of the infection when they're re-exposed to it than they would have done had they not been vaccinated. And of course you see around the world that the countries with highest vaccination rates are having some of the worst outcomes as well. And you have to wonder if that is a large contributory factor. Okay. Is that specifically true when you say that they're having some of the worst outcomes? What precisely do you mean by that? Well, the UK is very um, heavily vaccinated and the, the majority of the admissions with what they're calling breakthrough cases of COVID um, are actually in the vaccinated individuals. Same in Israel, Taiwan, I think it's more um, people have died from the, from the vaccine than, than have had, you know, COVID-19 and died of that. Um, so, and you, you saw a vast difference of the, I found the US really fascinating. Um, so there's vast, I mean, Florida and Texas, for instance, where they've, they've stopped doing this testing, stopped mask wearing, because it's so, multi-layered the medical and non-medical approaches to this that, that i pretty much find fault with 
every aspect of it. And, you know, and the, the mainstream media will go after me for being the masks do nothing doctor, you know, and I stand by that. I stand by that. I hear that. Um, but I'm, I'm still curious about this point of the, of the outcomes because I, I have my questions and my skepticism around various aspects of it, but it doesn't necessarily seem to be the case that places with, I mean, I think in terms of infection rates, I'm not really yeah. seeing much of a thing, but I, I've always thought, and I, I was saying this from last year, that the whole case thing to me seems a little bit pointless. I think it's about hospitalizations, deaths, you know, really negative outcomes. That's the thing people are concerned with. As far as I'm concerned, if case numbers are going up, but deaths are not, that's actually a good thing because it means more people are getting natural immunity over the course of time. And then you can actually get some form of natural herd immunity as, as far as I understand it. Yeah. Um, but I think that what I've seen is that with, with a lot of these policies, um, certainly with the lockdowns and the mask mandates is that there does not seem to be any strong correlation between those and hospitalization rates, death rates, etc. Some people might be listening to this and they'll say, no, you're wrong. But I challenge anyone to show me a strong correlation. You brought up the USA. I mean, you can look state to state. You can look at the numbers there. You can look at the data and I don't see any any correlation that's that's been the position since last year i don't know if if it's changed if it's updated but um i'm yet to see that i mean of course you can always cherry pick to prove you, you can take one area and try to prove something off that but if you look at it as a whole um i don't see i don't see much so what do you think is going on with the whole with the whole mask situation because you've obviously vocally spoken out about that um, yeah. it's strange how it's become such a controversial topic, but everything is these days. I think two years into this situation, if masks were highly effective, I don't think it would really be debatable whether or not I support a mandate. Um, I think that the efficacy would be very obvious by now. Um, and it certainly does not seem to be, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, in actual fact, there was a study done uh, with the first SARS virus, the Amoy Gardens one. And the reason I said um, from the outset, and I wouldn't walk around with a mask, and I still don't, that masks don't work to stop the spread, is because you're dealing with something that's primary mode of spread is through aerosols. Um, so the mask is not going to stop aerosols. The purpose of a mask um, certainly not cloth masks and even the surgical masks that you see people wearing. The purpose is when you have a, a surgeon, for instance, who's operating over a sterile environment. Remember, the mask isn't the sterile part when he gets scrubbed, puts that on first and then scrubs usually. He's operating standing still in a well-ventilated theater into what is potentially an open body cavity. So if he sneezes or coughs, that mask will stop uh, or should do the spread of mucus, okay? But not aerosols. If he's got an active respiratory infection, that's going to do nothing. Uh, and all it's going to do potentially is nebulize those aerosols into smaller particles, and those will hang around in the air lo even longer, okay? Now, there was a study even done in the 80s, and it was in, it was in the UK, and a consultant surgeon had no one including himself 
wear a mask for six months. And it was quite interesting because he found that in doing so, his post-operative infection rate, so complications after surgery from infection, halved in that period. Mm. And that was never really followed up on because obviously the standard protocol is that you wear a mask in theatre. Mm-hmm. Of course. But doing so as a surgeon in theatre, not moving around, being well ventilated, is quite different from someone who's working 12 hours uh, as a shift in, in a warehouse, driving a, a truck, walking around town. Because what you're doing then is creating this focus of, of moisture, um, germs, viruses, bacteria, which you're going to then re-inhale. Okay. You're also going to be rebreathing carbon dioxide even more. Okay. Um, and that is uh, something recognized as dentist mouth as, as well as comp- complication they get from, from work, mask wearing. But you have the potential there. If you've got a more acidic environment um, and carbon dioxide retention to actually lower the pH in the mouth. And I think our dental colleagues in a few years or a year or two will be pulling out a lot more teeth as a result, sadly. Um, but you've really then got this dense concentration of, of harmful material on a mask that you're rebreathing along with CO2. Now, the, the studies that have been done in children are absolutely damning when it comes to face masks. Um, and there's a very good site, which is probably going to be a part of the new age of medicine called the World Council for Health, if people want to go and have a look. They've put all the research there nicely for you um, about the harms in children, because the harms in children are such that they're retaining carbon dioxide much quicker than adults. If you're a six-year-old, your brain is, is still growing, it's still developing. It has a remarkable ability to learn. You've got neuroplasticity. That's going to have a very det- detrimental effect on a child's development. And that's before you even get onto the psychological harm and the shaming that goes with wearing a mask, I think. There's some very, um, you know, it has a lot of historical context, wearing a mask, that's not something we should ever be proud about or ever Mm. want to revisit at all. Um, and, And that's what people have done. And you've got this it's all part of this psychological warfare that's been been done by people um and that there's no justification for it at all whatsoever mm. from a mm. medical point of view i'm not an expert i couldn't go into a courtroom as an expert witness i'm a regular doctor i see patients um but this hasn't no no basis in medicine whatsoever treating people the way they've been treated and using what I resented the most, Subi, was the fact that my profession, the one I loved, the one I went into because I loved, was the means of orchestrating this, frankly, tyranny. Okay. Because mm. if you've quarantined, for instance, that's about keeping people separate who have a highly contagious and serious illness locking up perfectly healthy people, destroying their livelihoods, their careers, their ability to get vitamin D even, or exercise, that's tyrannical. Um, And there's no place in our society and in our world. That's crazy. Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy. Uh, First question is, 
In your 17 years mm. of medicine, I mean, have you ever seen anything comparable to this? No, no. no. Um, I was perhaps like we all were, just go, going with the flow. And I, I planned this kind of gradual transition into, into more holistic medicine. Mm. Um, but we were led to believe, and the mortality figures were predicted to be much higher than they ever were or ever turned out to be we were led to believe this this was going to be the worst thing we'd ever seen Mm. and you you would have seen as well like a lot of your listeners they were um making um these nightingale hospitals in the uk you know suddenly getting the army in to construct these makeshift hospital hospitals with ventilators as well um and we were we were bracing for something really really serious um and at first, I thought, that's fine. You know, I'll step up to the plate. I've never been in a pandemic before. It's not going to happen again in my lifetime, I doubt. Um, and I, I don't know if I told you, but we we set up like a community hub for people with suspected COVID. Um, that was before there was any testing that, you know, has been abolished by the CDC, of course. But the first time I went there was Good Friday last year. So it's just as we're coming into spring in England, the roads are empty, people are at home, they're not at work, and the clinic was empty. I didn't see a single patient. So that's when I started to think something's not right here. You could maybe dismiss it as, well, maybe they haven't got to the south coast of England yet, or maybe it's regional. Mm. But the second time I went there, um, I didn't see a single patient who had respiratory symptoms. Now bear in mind, this was a dedicated unit for seeing people with possible COVID, but people were getting referred on the basis of they might have a temperature. Okay, And it's a, it's a little bit like how the trials went. Uh, I don't know if you looked at them, but when they came out with this 95% efficacy for Pfizer, I think that's, that's pretty incredible. But the endpoint markers in those trials were one symptom, so a cough, a sore throats, a fever, and a positive PCR. Well, I'm sure we get on to testing as well, but one symptom and a positive PCR does not a COVID case make. And yet that's how they eventually got to this, this figure, or very quickly actually got to this figure that everyone thought this was going to be well, I didn't, but patients were led to believe that this was going to be so effective for them. Mm. So during the during the height of this, especially prior to any vaccination rollout, mm. how bad did it actually get? Um, as a doctor who was out there seeing patients, how bad did it get? Because this is something that I hear very mixed stories about. Um, mm. I know different doctors in different hospitals in different parts of the world and in different cities. And my understanding is that in some places and at certain times, the hospitals did genuinely get overwhelmed or were close to being so. And then at other times or in other hospitals, stuff was pretty normal and pretty quiet. Is that uh, is that accurate or what, yeah, what mean, was it that you saw yourself? So I wasn't working in hospital, but I had friends that did. And initially for the first two months in our area, um, 
the local hospitals were pretty empty and one of my friends in the emergency department said we're waiting for these covid patients but they haven't turned up plus you had in england this additional thing where people were involved advised by the government to stay at home so you had all these people who had non-covid related things perhaps not coming to hospital mm. and that is going to have a serious effect both in hospital and in the community where for instance 70 percent of cancers would be picked up in the community um, so we weren't doing that um, i took my leave in you know handed in my notice and pretty much went straight away i didn't work i didn't work the notice period um, in february time and it had been a fairly normal winter as far as i know now as you probably know, certainly in the UK, there were no excess um, deaths in 2020. But we are seeing that now from non-COVID causes. Mm. So particularly in the under 65 age group, we're seeing a rise in heart attacks, strokes, and what's called other circulatory diseases, mm -hmm. which was one of the fears with using this very atypical vaccine. And I don't like to be calling it a vaccine. This is a gene-based therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to be controversial there, but that's... That's that's what, it's, that's what it is called. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it actually is called. I know that term <laughs> upsets or angers people, yeah. but that's literally what... That's what it is. Yeah. It's on the Moderna website, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in our, you know, when I got in trouble, that that was one of the things they didn't like me saying that. Um, but again, if you want to take, let's take a basic definition of what a vaccine is and should be kind of internationally recognized. Well, it should give you at least as a bare minimum, 50% coverage for the for the various viral strains should last a year, at least. But with Pfizer alone, you've got six months of antibodies. Now, mm. the real elephant in the room, which has never been considered here in the UK, uh, and which we're going to do uh, in when we get our judicial review to challenge the tra travel rules, is introduce the idea of natural immunity. So there's people who um, had SARS-CoV-1 early on in the, in the, in the century They've still got immunity now, 18 years later. So, well, what's going on there? Yeah, they might have an, an you know, people might have an antibody test and that doesn't come up positive. Well, that's when it's then stored as the memory T cells. So you have a T cell, T cell test and that would be what's called reactive. Um, and the, the other issue when we talk about natural immunity is we know now that people who have naturally acquired immunity are more likely to suffer a side effect complication from the vaccine. So mm. why on earth would we be mandating without testing people first for yes. prior, prior exposure, prior infection? And their immunity, they've done everyone else who's vaccinated a favor because their mm -hmm. own immunity is broad in coverage, mm -hmm. long-lasting, mm -hmm. and the current gene-based therapies they're not only not fit for human use, but they're obsolete in terms of their coverage for the variants. Hmm. 
you know, we saw that largely with the Dow, so-called Delta variant as well. Mm-hmm. You know? and, then, and then with this new one, I mean, the majority yeah. of people getting it and spreading it are, of course, people who have had the injections. That's just a fact. Exactly, exactly. And I think actually it's probably a bit of a design flaw at, at the very best in the vaccine. So if you if you inject something in someone's deltoid, you know, they were saying early on that this would stay in the deltoid. Well, it doesn't do that. Unfortunately, this toxin goes to other organs in the body. Um, the Japanese, you probably know, did a did a study to see where in the body it was going. Mm. In, when in when you body. say toxin, why why are you calling it a toxin? When people get sick um, from SARS-CoV-2, uh, particularly at the later stages when they're throwing off blood clots and their oxygen levels are plummeting because of you know blood clots, that that's because of this spike protein. Okay. And that has an affin- what we say an affinity for receptors in the body called ACE2. And it will bind there. And anywhere in the body where that spike protein might go and those receptors might be, it will cause an immune-mediated reaction. So that's why we're, we're potentially seeing a lot of women, for instance, incredible number of women that I speak to now with menstrual irregularities, you know, you know, period is a very, very healthy indicator of how well a woman is, you know, how how good is your sort of body clock like, like mm. And we're seeing these, and, you know, we're seeing, you know, stillbirths arising in late stage miscarriage. Um, are there are there any numbers on that? What are, I know yeah. it's hard to find this information because you hear things and, uh, you know, especially anecdotally or, you know, if you, this happened to a friend or this happened to a friend's friend. But what is there? Is there a database that's actually listing these and has these numbers and statistics? Yeah. And, and that actually speaks to my first point about the biggest experiment ever, because you had pre-existing databases. We call it the yellow card system in the UK. You've got VAERS in the US and the Euro uh, monitoring system also. Um, but you had these systems which were never robust enough, I don't think, to pick up everything in terms of what was going on, considering that this is still in clinical trial. Okay. And there was a Harvard study in 2009 which looked at VAERS and considered as a conclusion that a that there might be some huge underreporting in the VAERS data. And potentially that was only showing you about 1% of adverse events and outcomes. Now that's quite acceptable, you would say, if someone gets a little rash after taking medication, they might not report it. The doctor might not report it. You're meant to as a doctor. It's a clinical responsibility. Um, but you can see why those minor things would not be. Mm-hmm. Now, what we've got and what you'll see shortly published is data looking at um, these these various reporting systems um, that, that goes into a bit more detail and breaks it down. Um, but also, you're able to see some quite clear trends. I can't say more at the moment um, because it's 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 not quite released yet from our from my sort of side on the, on the legal team. Mm-hmm. But it, it it is what I will say is that it's it's shocking, terrifying, actually, uh, what what we found, and we've had some real experts 
go over the data and look at that. But when you when you think about what's happening with these injections, if you have an ordinary vaccine, for instance, what you've got is the usually the whole virus that's been deadened or weakened. But what they've done here is take just one protein of, out of about 27 others and ask your body to continue to go on making it. Now, something that I do in functional medicine is say I'm looking for the root cause of someone who's got an autoimmune condition, I want to look for a protein or bacteria or a virus that could have triggered that immune reaction. And back last year, I was looking at these mRNA gene therapies and thinking, hang on a minute, that looks like how you would define an autoimmune disease. It's, it's incredible. And put that together. What, what, what do you mean by that? So you've got this foreign body protein circulating in the body. And I think it was highly naive at best to think that it would just stay in the arm because it doesn't, clearly doesn't. Um, that's going to cause an immune response. So your own body is then going to attack a mountain immune response to wherever that protein goes. Um, which is very similar process to what identical really to what happens in autoimmune disease. Um, so, so things like rheumatoids, um, Sjogren's, you know, MS, even those sorts of things. Um, so it just didn't make any sense from even a theoretical point of view to me as a clinician looking at that. Mm. Um, sorry. Yeah, no. I, I was I was asking. I was going to say. Why is it that so you now are in this state where you're considered and certainly in the media, you're looked at as some kind of uh, ro rogue doctor almost. But yeah. what about what about your colleagues? What about the other doctors, the other nurses, the other people involved in healthcare throughout all this? Um, why is it were there other people who also stepped away from all of this or was was it just yourself not that i know of um so much in the uk not no friends of mine for instance um and you know i'd be lying to say if life hasn't been difficult for me as a as a result of mm -hmm. what i've done because that video pretty much set fire to my career and i was as you know suspended by two organizations um I thought there might be some blowback. I didn't realize the opposing team was playing from the Rules for Radicals, Sol Alinsky book, you know, where the immediate response was not to consider any of the evidence I had or what I was talking about. Because bear in mind, Zuba, I'd, I'd, I'd written this all down for the GMC and the NHS the year before. Okay. Uh, in, in a lot of detail. And they, they'd actually just issued me my re-license for another five years, because that happens every five years for us doctors. After having read that, the very same guy who read and approved that for the general on behalf of the General Medical Council was the guy who a couple of months later was suspending me. Mm, that's um, interesting. And I, yeah, exactly. And I'm getting a phone call to tell me that they're concerned about my welfare and my health. Um, and thankfully I had my dictaphone to hand. So I was able to record this because, you know, this, 
woman, a senior clinical advisor, NHS England, so a, a physician also, was telling me this, having seen my social media, it's very clear that I'm not physically incapacitated such that I couldn't be a doctor or a GP or anything. Um, and it's very obvious what she's alluding to. Um, and I was then going to be made, which I was, an example of, so everyone else was fearful of coming forward. Mm. Um, so getting true numbers for that in the UK, I think, is really hard. What I've noticed, and I'm part of international doctors' groups, um, obviously meeting on, online and for some time, is that there's there's more obvious ability to dissent, if you like, in, in other places in the world. Um, the Commonwealth countries, doctors from the Commonwealth countries seem to be the worst affected in terms of how they're treated. But there is a large consensus and among experts. I mean, I'm, I'm basically, when I go to these meetings, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, really, you know, absolute experts, legends in medicine and in their fields of expertise. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a real privilege for someone like me to be there with them. But they've, they, they're saying the same things as me. You know? But I, I think in the UK in particular, people would be very fearful about coming forward. And part of me going to the high court was to pave the way to make it clear for other doctors and nurses to come forward with the peace of mind of knowing that their concerns would actually be investigated and looked into. Mm -hmm. And that's actually something that the Royal College of General Practitioners said just in 2018. Because if people think that the health service, because we all love it, is not capable of systemic failure, it's happened before. It happened in, in Staffordshire, in England, where there are a large number of unexpected deaths. And one of the people that called that out um, they, did, they did the same thing. And then in 2018, the Royal College GPs published an article which says that whistleblowers should be protected and encouraged to come forward. Because if you have got systemic failings in any system, you need to know about it so you can fix it. Yeah, absolutely. Put a stop to it. Absolutely. What was it specifically that made you take such a stance because I'm always intrigued when there's the exception. Like I, I can understand it from my perspective. And I imagine if I were a doctor, I would have done the same thing if I saw what you were seeing. But what is it do you think that makes you the exception there? What What is it either within you or specifically that you saw that made you go, you know what, I cannot stand in silence because that's what most people do. That's always the problem, right? The problem is not some great evil out there. The problem is always that the problem is what people do in the face of when they see something that they believe is wrong, especially if it threatens their, their livelihood, their job, comfort, their social status, all of these things. Very few people are willing to sacrifice any of these things to any degree or to even put them at risk. But in your case, you put that, you put that out there right? You put that out there. 99% of people wouldn't. Um, so why did you? I think there's a spiritual element to this as, as well for me personally. Um, 
I was raised as a fairly strict Catholic, um, but I didn't, by the time I got to medical school, I didn't really see the virtue in, in the Vatican or the, the Catholic Church. And for a long time, I, I went down this, oh, I'm a scientist, so therefore I'm an atheist and reading sort of Richard Dawkins and things. But re I think over the last couple of years, I've come back to God. So there is a, well, I have come back to God. There's no question there. Just not religion, just not monotheism, as I would, as I would say. Okay. Um, and I think for me, something kicked in last year. And I can't quite answer that fully about what changed in me. And I can only think that was a, a little bit of a calling, perhaps, for me to do something here. I had a... I had a recurring thought in my mind last December and I actually was thinking that it would never happen. They would never bring this out onto the market and expect us to be involved with it. But they did because I, I was I was thinking that other doctors would say we're not doing it. And if enough doctors did that, it never would have happened. And that didn't happen. Much to my surprise, it, it went ahead anyway. And it didn't matter what, what specifically are you referring to here? That was when in December last year, that was when the first vaccines were rolled out. Okay. To the frail elderly who okay. had, had not been included in any trials. Um, those that are on many medications. So you were surprised by this rollout. You thought that doctors would say no? Yeah, I thought every doctor nearly as a, as a primary care doctor would say we're not doing this. Okay. What, what, what made you think that would be the case? Because the evidence beforehand was so damning that we mm. couldn't proceed with such haste. Which evidence are you referring to specifically here? The, those, even if you take just those first trials, okay, and then you've got this, I mean, there's lots of things to do with the way the vaccine works, um, but to, to knowingly continue to suppress proven safe therapeutics. And when, for instance, Dr. Tesslori at the independent research consortium did a really thorough meta-analysis on ivermectin she realized that some of the ivermectin trials had to be stopped early okay now why was that that was due to ethical concern it was deemed unethical by the doctors conducting the trial to continue to hold a trial a control group i.e an untreated group because they were doing so much poorly compared mm. with, the, with the treated group. That's interesting. So that they, these physicians said, this is too unethical for us to continue the trial. We've got to give everyone ivermectin. Where, yeah, where was this study done? This, this is a few of these, actually. Okay. Yeah. And that's Because the, the, the studies I heard about were ones where I think they gave it too late in the game yeah. for it to be... So those ones were sort of neutral. Those weren't mm -hmm. ones that it was harmful, but just that it's inconclusive, it's it's neutral. But my understanding is in those cases, they, they gave it way too late in the game. That's what I understand. Exactly. I like to break it down into three stages of, of this illness. So you, you have the initial infection and replication of the virus. That's when you want early intervention in the community to stop that viral replication. If you... If you don't, you're going to get inflammation. And then the next, the final stage, the third stage, is when people are developing blood clots. And that's potentially when they're getting short of breath and their oxygen level is, is dipping. Now, 
in the UK, as you probably realized, if you have a positive PCR and you're unwell, there's nothing caveat that was saying there is now the steroid inhaler pudesonide only for the over 50s and it was sneaked onto the guidelines in april 21 without a big fanfare at a government press conference so i don't know that that many people know about it certainly the lady who called me um from nhs england to tell me i was crazy didn't know about it <laughs> um, so she asked she, all she asked me was because I'd mentioned in my video three medications, she wanted to ask me about HCQ. So you can't talk about HCQ because that, despite hundreds of papers on that, the effectiveness, despite Fauci mm. writing a, a yeah, paper. This, this video is not going to be able to go on YouTube, by the way. So this, <laughs> is good. this one's going to be um, exclusive to the audio podcast, and I'll try to get the video on Odyssey or Rumble as well because okay. I already know I can't put this on YouTube. That's probably why I haven't been invited back on mainstream media, isn't it? Yeah, you can't. You, you, we. It's, it's, it's officially violated their policy. Has it? If I put this on my channel, it's going to get a yeah. strike. So I, yeah. I can't do it. And well, that, and that cool. also shows how crazy. Yeah. Right. That shows how crazy things have have become. Right. And well, how. Anti- Sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say how anti-scientific it all is. I mean, science is based on inquiry. It's based on questioning. It's based on challenges. It's based on putting forward ideas and challenging them. Um, but we're operating in this very bizarre realm that I've never seen in my life before, certainly not with any disease or with any treatment, where um, I, I was going to say that it's more akin to a religion, but I'd say it's more akin to a, a cult, because even, even in religion, you can ask questions um, it, with what's going on here. It's just, there's just one narrative, stick with it. No questions, no other treatments can be discussed. Nothing outside of the beloved injection can be discussed. Um, and you're not even supposed to call it an injection. You're not even meant to call it a gene therapy. Or you're supposed to call it by its uh, its holy name. Um, yeah. It's very, very bizarre, man. I've, n- I've just never seen anything like this before. But carry on. I don't think we ever expected to either, ZB. I mean, yeah. Hopefully we never will again. That's all I can say. See something mm. like this. What? Are, oh, sorry. What? What are your thoughts on? Uh, maybe we'll get to this. But what are your thoughts on this? On this booster program? Because it sounds like they're now trying to get people on three or four shots a year. Um, yeah. I mean, here in the UK, Sajid Javid just the other day was saying that you know every three months people should be should be getting boosters. So what? What are your thoughts on that? That should be a real awakening for people that actually these 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 jabs are not nearly as effective as they first made out. And if your antibodies are lasting only six months uh, and they want to boost you every few months, you know, you've got to start asking questions. Now, some of us would have thought when they imposed a lockdown, for instance, and said, and then started to build this narrative towards the end of last year, that if you have a vaccine, you'll get your freedom pack. grandparents will be able to finally go and see their grandchildren get your freedom back it's such an oxymoron that's so or it's so orwellian that you have to take an injection to get your freedom it's like well then you're not free no you're not free and they they never had the right to ever take it that's the key thing so if you think or you're deceived because this is a time of great deception now more than ever we need to exercise perception really 
Um, if you think that you are going to get your freedom back, then you should realize they never should have taken it in the first place. Um, and these people, if you allow them to do that, well, they they, ne they never did take it. I think, and I think this is an important point, which is that they never did take it because your freedoms are not granted by yeah. by the government, right? It's it's in your own mind. Yeah. People whose freedom was taken away, it's like, well, that my, my freedom was never taken away, no. right? It was infringed upon in certain areas, but I'm a free I'm a free man. I'm a free person. You can't yeah. take that from me unless you're going to physically come and throw me in a cell or something. Um, in which case it's still simply being infringed upon. Um, but I think too many people have this notion and really it's a more of a philosophical idea that their rights and their freedoms directly come from the government. And as such, they can grant them and repeal them as they wish. And I'm always telling people, I'm like, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Your rights can be infringed upon. Your freedom can be infringed upon, but they, they can't be granted. Like you are a free, you're a free human being. Um, that's your, that's your birthright. Like that's your God given right. Yeah. Um, so this, all this whole stuff of like, Oh, we do this and we can get our freedom back. I'm, I, I reject that outright. No, no. And one of the things I said in my video was please don't have this. Cause you think it will go, you can go on holiday because again, that that's about me saying, you know, none of this has ever been about medicine. Um, and I would sometimes ask people in January when I was still there, why did you have this, you, you know, in your fifties? And they would have had a bad reaction. I mean, uh, why do you have, oh, well, I, I like going on holiday. That's not a medical reason. That's never gonna be a medical reason. Um, and and don't think that just because you've had it that you will be allowed to go on holiday by the government's rules and mandates. Do you know why it's also weird is that you, you don't, you, you've never needed it to go on holiday. <laughs> no, no, no. Right, like this is the weird thing is, People have invent. Here's something I've noticed: is that people imagine that there are rules and restrictions that don't exist. This is something I've noticed this whole time. Because over the over the past eighteen months, I've been to seven countries, um, and every day people, are like, how are you traveling? How are you doing this? How? And I'm like, bro, like you've been able to travel pretty much this whole time. There was a short period in the UK early at the beginning of this year where, like, they made it very hard for you to travel. Um, but outside of that, in vast majority of countries, exceptions being perhaps like Australia, New Zealand, you, you've been able to travel throughout this whole time. There might be a couple hoops to jump through or you might need a negative test or something, but people are like really locked in this mental prison and they haven't bothered to even do the most basic, like there's people who two years in, they don't even know that, Oh, like I could have, I could have yeah. traveled. Like they, they didn't even know, like it's weird. Um, yeah, there are restrictions, but then people create new ones in their own brain and i don't know so many people are stuck in this strange mental prison it's very very bizarre to me i think that partly comes with being reliant on the government for your what seems like your health your welfare uh, i don't mean that in terms of benefit payments i mean this this kind of uh, illusion that the government is there to protect you and keep you safe i'm pretty sure after all this we'll agree all of us when it all comes out, and it will, that the government was never really set up to care about the people. And you, you've got to live your life. So long as you don't cause harm or wrong to anyone else, uh -huh. you're not breaking any laws that I know of, you know, in terms of common law, natural law, God's law. Uh -huh. um, that's that's what the actual law of living men and women is, of course. And uh, Absolutely. Unfortunately, that's 
that's a huge rabbit hole to go down and it, has to, <laughs> it goes back down centuries you mm-hmm. know um where you know we people who like, think that they have complete dominion over the earth essentially and they want to be god instead i think that's a huge problem that we're dealing with here I think that the godlessness aspect of this is very, very deep and very, very important in terms of people's behavior and everything that's been going on. I think that a lot of people have created, like I said, a new religion slash cult, Mm -hmm. and they're now adherents and advocates and you know they're they're proselytizing it and they want everyone to get baptized with this um injection so that they can be clean and be saved and anyone who doesn't is a heretic and a blasphemer and in fact some of the people are outright saying that they should be punished right mm-hmm. they should be excommunicated yeah. they should be pariahs maybe they should even have some legal repercussions i mean it's truly a psychosis. It's it's very, I don't know, the whole thing is so unprecedented and weird to me. And it's also weird and disorienting because I, I flip back between everything sort of seeming normal, for the most part, not everything, but mostly normal, and then things seeming totally crazy. And I think maybe it's because we're reaching a stage where I think the jig is the jig is almost up. I think the jig is almost up. Um, The amount of lies, this whole house of cards that they've built, and then all of the goalposts shifting and the stuff not making sense. And just the fact that, you know, people are just simply not, (laughs) people are simply not dying and getting sick in the way that the dooms, the, the doomsayers almost want it to happen. I've made this point several times before that this is the first pandemic ever where people want the disease to be worse than it is so that they can be proved correct. Like there's people out there who want all these unvaccinated people to, to get sick and drop dead. Right. You'll even see some of them openly saying it. Right. And yeah. that's because they want that's to be okay. proven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, uh, these are the people who are claiming that everything they're doing is about selflessness and kindness and the greater good and looking out for humanity and all that. I'm like, look, regardless of whether someone's taken this shot or that shot or hasn't, or they've taken this treatment, I'm like, look, I, man, I'm pro-human. I'm pro-human. I want everybody to be as healthy as possible. I was talking about health way before it was cool. I wrote a book on health and fitness before there was any pandemic situation. Like, I've been advocating for actual health and fitness as well as liberty for a long time. And all of a sudden, and that's another thing that's crazy with all this is how little conversation there's been around actual health. It's just been social distance, masks and vaccines and nothing about diet, nutrition, sleep, drinking water, supplementation, lifestyle, getting sunlight, not being socially isolated. All of these very, very important things to do with your health have been totally not just ignored, but actively discouraged, sometimes forcibly discouraged. And that's when I just look at the whole thing and I'm like, what is going on here, guys? Like, what, what is this whole situation? Yeah. So this has been happening for a very, very long time. And I, I think it, it feeds into as well the destruction of family and family values as well. Um, but it's interesting you mentioned diet because there was a, a paper published in London in the 70s 
which showed that actually a higher fat diet was okay for you, healthy fats, if you like. Of course, there's key vitamins, particularly vitamin D, which is, has a key role in the immune system, which is absorbed as a fat-soluble vitamin. So you need to have fats. Then what did we see in the 80s? We saw this low-fat diet. Uh, I mean, you can't have butter, you've got to have margarine and things. And it ended up uh, being very high in carbohydrate. And yet, what's happened as a result of that, and this, this goes back to the WHO, is you have these diseases now where people run very high insulin levels because their pancreas is constantly having to deal with these insulin shots, um, insulin spikes from eating carbs and sugars and things. Um, and they, they then get type 2 diabetes, they get obese. This has all been this explosion uh, in the last 30 or 40 years. And it goes back to diet. And not once in a press conference have you heard them say vitamin D. Nope. Nope. And, and that's, there's some simple heuristics, which just make me think like the whole thing is, is a complete sham. And that's that there, there's, there's a lot of them, but that is one of them. There's maybe like five or six things I just look at, you know, the complete ignoring of natural immunity. That's another one, right? If someone doesn't want to talk about natural immunity or downplay it or act like it doesn't even exist, I'm like, I, I, at that point, I'm like, I can't trust anything you're saying about yeah. this topic in terms of actual like health and medicine. Like this is basic GCSE biology and you have supposed doctors and health experts who are there outright denying it, right? Outright saying that, or, or you know, they're brought up and they're like, mm, well, we, we, don't, we don't really know about that one. And I'm just like, these people are clowns, man. Yeah, yeah. And you can see why I didn't want to be a part of it as well. Um, because it, you just can't go along with a lie like this if you've realized it i think um and i think we are seeing more of an awakening with with the public as well um but i say to people who consult with me you know because they'll ask why can't other people see it why can't i see it? and i think it's easy particularly if you've gone along with the the vaccine to believe this kind of easy lie that the government has told day after day throughout than a very, very difficult truth about how heinous this crime is against liberty, against all of us. Um, and we have to come to a realization at some point in time, and I think there will be some lawful ramifications for those who perpetrated it. I have to believe that. I hope that. so. I hope yeah, so. I have to believe that. Yep. Um, because we need to make sure, and this was something that said after the Second World War. So I, I have patients in their 90s who are telling me this as, as well. Um, you know, we agreed that this would never happen again. And yet, that's where we are. You've got Ursula van der Leyen saying, well, maybe the Euro Nuremberg Code's not so relevant anymore. You know, absolutely terrifying. If that <laughs> it's crazy, wake, man. If that doesn't wake you up. Honestly. Okay. Um, and the Nuremberg Code is not ambiguous. It's it's very decisive. You've got free, informed consent, freely given. Uh, and it, again, informed consent should mean a discussion about what alternative treatments there are. And that means doing nothing as well. That means a very conservative, well, not conservative nowadays in this country, but because <laughs> they're, they're the communists now. Uh, yeah apart from a few there's nothing conservative nor liberal about no. any of this that's the amazing part 
Yeah, and there was never anything liberal about you know the Democrats in, in the US or the opposing bench of the Labour Party or Liberal Democrats. That's not, that's not liberty. That's not the Van Mises definition of what no, absolutely liberty not. is. Or, <laughs> you know, Dr. Ron Paul's version, which I happen to like very much. Yeah. Um, and and again, he called this out. You know, from from the start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but that's not liberalism or freedom or liberty that that any of us should should recognize um nowadays it seems trendy to say you're a communist forgetting the lessons of the last century <laughs> which were horrific uh, yeah that, that's a, that's a, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a whole other conversation head exploding here, <laughs> but sam sam where do you think um where do you think this goes next year where do you think we'll be this time next year I don't, I don't think we'll still be here because I, I get asked this a lot a lot by patients. Um, I think there's there's a mass awakening. I see a silent majority rising up peacefully um, and coming together and saying enough. Um, we've got more planned in terms of legal action. Um, that's pretty much nonstop. And we have a team of dedicated warriors, if you like, who are not doing this, you know, because they love doing it, they're doing it because they're protecting the future of their grandchildren, their children, in all honesty. And we've all got to do that now. Absolutely. Sam, really respect what you're doing. Thank you for taking a stand and for being a man of principle. If people want to follow you or find out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? So my website is drsamwhite.com and uh, I am Dr. Sam White is usually my social media handle. Interestingly, Zuby, the day I won my high court appeal, um, I could no longer use Twitter. In so <laughs> interesting coincidence, eh? Yeah. Um, but no, I've got Telegram as well. I am Dr. Sam White. Okay. What's the best place for people to follow you if you if they can um, follow my, you on one? My website and uh, drsamwhite.com. Okay. But yeah, I've got a health bulletin there for people that have um, Zooms backstage with experts as well. Amazing. Dr. Sam White, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great chatting with you, and um, I'm sure we'll talk again. My pleasure, Zuby. Thank you very much. Thank you. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunting you're destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.